With harvest approaching, a reminder of being safe on our farm. Today, we helped launch this year's Farm Safety Week with the team at Yellow Wellies. Stop and think before they get on that piece of machinery, I could be the danger, not the piece of kit that I'm getting onto. Also, we're joined by the Red Shepherdess, getting the next generation into farming. It's amazing, and it's amazing watching kids kind of like feel wool for the first time, or they see like a chick being born for the first time. Later, we meet the award-winning Longhorn Fresh from the Great Yorkshire Show, and as it's the final of this... We'll be looking at this year's Strawberry Harvest. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. Good morning. Last week, at this very moment, I was helping to launch a day early Great British Pea Week. Well, today, again a day early, I thought we'd launch Farm Safety Week. Officially, it starts tomorrow, but it's such an important issue... Why wait? Your mental health is one of the main topics of the week, as well as keeping yourself safe during harvest. It's all the idea of the team at Yellow Wellies, or the Farm Safety Foundation, to give them their real non-social media name. I caught up with Olivia Turnett-Rogers at this week's Great Yorkshire Show to find out more about Farm Safety Week. What we're trying to do to, is to raise awareness of there is charities out there that they can speak to, and they can get the support if they need to, and people are just a phone call away if you do need that help. So with our campaign Mind Your Head, um, we've really been pushing that message out there to say that you are not alone um, and there are people that can support you. It's one of those, I know we've talked about it on the programme before, people don't always want to talk some farmers. They feel, oh, no, I'm OK, I'll just carry on. But actually... It, there's no harm, there's no uh, embarrassment anymore in talking, is there? No, there's no embarrassment at all. It's much more of an open topic that people are talking about now, which is great. And by speaking to somebody, maybe it's not a family or friend, that somebody you don't particularly know, sometimes they're a little bit easier to open up. So people like uh, Rabbi and FCN, they can really help you. And they do know about farming and about agriculture, so they can completely understand where you're coming from, no matter what your problems are that you're dealing with at, at home in your farm life. Are you finding more people are now coming forward and getting in touch with, you know, people like the Yellow Wellies campaign and things? Yeah, definitely. I mean, awareness has never been higher, especially for us at the Farm Safety Foundation, which is great. Um, I think that more is being made sort of more socially acceptable to talk about how you're feeling, your struggles and where to get support and things. So, yeah, definitely. I think it's only going to go up from here with all people supporting some sort of like social figures and stuff like that as well, which is really great for the industry. And of course, being at a show like uh, the Great Yorkshire, an opportunity to meet various people and, and, and chat face to face as well. Exactly. It gives that social interaction they maybe wouldn't have on a daily, weekly basis. So by coming to a show like the Great Yorkshire show, it just gives them a bit of time to have contact with people, um, maybe people they haven't seen in a couple of years as well and maybe it's that chance they can open up that conversation when they go back to the farm and they can just pick up the phone and ask that support they've been waiting for for quite a while. What are people saying? Is it, you know, we've got Brexit going on, we've got various uncertainties, the weather, you know, in, in Lincolnshire we've had the floods recently, the, the drought of last year, All is all that adding into to the mental health of farmers at the moment? Definitely. I mean, all aspects of farming life um, is sort of plays a part in people's mental health. So I think it's all the little things that add up over time that make people's mental health maybe reduced. Um, so just by sharing the load with people around you can help. And everyone in the farm industry is having the same pressure, so everyone knows what you're going through. So don't think you can't speak to anybody because there is people out there that can help. And I guess a week like Farm Safety Week as well, it's a good opportunity to promote the campaign as well because, you know, at this time of the year, it's about being safe on our farms as well, isn't it? As well as mental health, we're being safe generally. Yeah, definitely. I mean, what we're trying to do is encourage those in the industry to 
stop and think about their safety and well-being whilst being at work and living on farms and building personal and business resilience as well so building that resilience up is the main target of Farm Safety Week this year we're sharing four key case studies of real farmers or farming families that have had a tragedy and by sharing that resilience that they've been able to build from that unfortunate tragedy they've had is, is great so by everyone sharing their stories and opening up it will get better and it, you know, again we're coming into harvest it's a busy time of year when people are a bit tired it only takes a minute's lack of concentration and you could really find yourself in serious trouble couldn't you? Yeah you could I mean while we're at the shows this year we've been asking the young farmers that we're talking to do they think that there is a connection between farm safety and mental health and they are answering yes to that and that is true by um, them identifying that hopefully then they'll be able to think stop and think before they get on that piece of machinery I could be the danger not the piece of kit that I'm getting onto so there's a complete connection there and it's good that they're making that agreement with us as well. It is indeed. That's Olivia Turnock-Rogers from the Farm Safety Foundation. You can find out more about Farm Safety Week on the website yellowwellies.org and on social media. Use the hashtag MindYourHead or Farm Safety Week for more useful tips throughout the week. Someone who always puts safety first is our agronomist, Sean Sparling. Morning, Sean. It is important, isn't it, especially in your job? Yes, good morning, Sean. Very, very important to me as an agronomist and to anybody, I think, who work, works on their own because I spend 95% of my day on my own, walking fields in the middle of nowhere, miles away from civilization, from roads, from houses. If I cobble over in the middle of the field, nobody's just going to happen upon me. You know, I'm there. If I haven't got any means of contact in the outside, world I'm in a mess so I never set off walking blocks of land on my own without having my phone in my pocket and the marvels of modern science and technology mean that I've got a phone signal almost anywhere in the county so I never leave my car without having my phone in my pocket because it could save my life one day so let's move on to agronomy then oilseed rape things have changed somewhat in the last week we didn't get the amount of rain they told us we may get um, I think they were thought they were on a roll after they predicted all that rain in June. They thought they could just predict another lot, and we, we didn't get any of it, really. I've taken one mil this week with a heavy 0.4 mil overnight into Friday morning. Um, so what it's done is it's moved on the oilseed rape crops in particular. So at the end of last week, we had the earlier drilled, the clearfield varieties. They were going really, really quickly, and that's where people have started with pre-harvest management, whether that be swathing or glyphosate or reglone. Last week, there was an awful lot of bleaching on the tops of these canopies. So you could see the canopies looking like they were fit, but as soon as you pulled the pods open, you realised the seeds hadn't started to turn. People have forgotten that up until the first or the second or so of June, we'd only had about five inches of rain from Christmas Eve to that point. So it's only really since the beginning, that first week of June, that we've started taking rain. So that's why there's such a variation in these fields, that protracted flowering period. So that means a lot of variability. So what you do is you can only gauge your field by the majority. Whatever the majority looks like, run with that. It's also worth remembering, really concentrate on the middle pods in the racemes, because if there are more brown than green, you're good to go with things like glyphosate. And it doesn't matter if you're two or three days early with glyphosate for say it's better to be that than seven days late also pod shatter resistance a lot of the dk varieties and a lot of the clearfield varieties have inbuilt pod shatter resistance but some people like the pod sticks and the pod sealants but it's worth remembering that if you get a hailstorm it doesn't matter whether you've put both of those things on it doesn't matter if you're wearing a belt and braces if you get a hailstorm running through that crop you're going to lose all seed rate so it's not a panacea and it's not a guarantee that you're not going to lose rate 
say, if you do use the pod stick type materials, for goodness sake, get the non-ionic surfactant to flush through that sprayer as soon as you finish spraying because it'll gum up the inside of your sprayer and you really don't want that. Deal with that as soon as you come out of the field, as soon as you finish, get it washed out with a non-ionic surfactant. Speak to your advisor about how much to put in your particular sprayer. Winter wheat, winter barley, really starting to head towards senescence now. You can see them changing colour. Some of that is disease because let's bear in mind it's seven or eight weeks now since we put the flag leaf fungicide, the main fungicide on so that will be running out of steam quite quickly now so you will see disease moving up from underneath but it's not all disease a lot of it is nutrient deficiency as a consequence of that wet June because the crop is now trying to pull manganese magnesium nitrogen sulfur and other nutrients out of its own leaves to feed the ear and remember the ear delivers around the greenness of the ear delivers around 22% of final yield the flag leaf is about 43% of final yield leaf 2 delivers is about 22% of final yield. Leaf three down there at the bottom delivers between three and seven percent and the rest of the plant delivers the other two or three percent. Now it's important you have green leaf area to intercept sunlight and it's also important of course that we have that sunlight because that will finish them. A lot of the leaves look worse than they are. Two percent to five percent loss of a leaf can look quite catastrophic but as long as there's plenty of green still there they're still going to be doing their job and they're still going to be feeding that ear. There is some few Fusarium out there, which is inevitable when you get six or seven inches of rain through July, the main period, right in the middle of flowering. If you've got your fungicide on for a Fusarium ear blight, before the rain, you're in better nick than you would have been if you got it on after the rain. But having said that, 50% is the best result you could ever expect. So I think we all need to expect there will be Fusarium and Microdochium on these crops. Now, whether that translates into Dons and Zons and other mycotoxins, only time will tell. But nothing really now to do. There's nothing to be gained by putting anything on wheat or barley from here on in. Spring peas, beans, linseed, they're all romping away. They're loving the conditions at the moment. I can't really find an awful lot in the way of black aphids or anything else aphid-wise for that matter in peas and beans. I don't think we need to worry too much. Is there any point putting anything else on for brookid once the pods are fully set? No, I don't really think there is at this stage. You need them when the pods are just starting to set. Brookids are out there. Speak to your advisors um, because because your crops may vary in growth stage. If you've still got flowers there, then there is still a need to deal with brookid beetle. In terms of disease, if you've already put two on and two fungicides on and you've got no flowers left at all, again, the beans are going to start moving towards senescence over the course of the next two or three weeks. So if you've got chocolate spot in the base of that crop, you've no flowers left, all the pods are at the normal size and sort of finished size and they're just filling, you have to question whether it's worth doing any more. And if you do, for goodness sake, watch those harvest intervals and look at the legalities of what you're doing in terms of numbers and compound doses of what you're applying. Sugar beet, absolutely loving these conditions out there. It's romping away. A little bit of nutrient addition in there, bit of manganese, bit of magnesium, a few of these trace compounds. Don't go overboard. Don't spend a fortune. You can just trickle a little dose of folia nitrogen in though on some of these products. But I do think it's a little early to be thinking about fungicide at the moment. There's no disease out there. You can't do anything about bacterial leaf spot and cercospora anyway. So just monitor that situation and try and get the timing right. Is it still worth putting anything on for Mises persicae? No, I don't think it is at the moment. Once you get beyond 22 leaves, there's very little point. And I can't really find enough to worry me. Potatoes, blight, still top of your list. Keep spending your money. There's one thing about a season like this, Sean, and that is how many people come out of the woodwork who are 
so completely blessed with hindsight. Ah, yes, hindsight's a wonderful thing. Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services. Back to the Great Yorkshire Show then, and someone who's passionate about agriculture, as indeed we all are here on the programme, but especially passionate about ensuring children are as excited about the industry. Hannah Jackson is better known to you and I as the Red Shepherdess. Hannah, it's uh, important to reach out to the next generation, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Just for them to kind of understand where their food comes from for a start is amazing, and just to help them understand that supporting British farmers is kind of vital for the industry to survive. Um, and yeah, and just showing them that you don't have to be born onto a farm to actually farm. So yeah, it's amazing and it's amazing watching kids kind of like spark when they actually understand some things or they feel wool for the first time or they see like a chick being born for the first time. So yeah, it's amazing. It's a little bit addictive. <laughs> and of course, it's, it's so diverse farming now as well. You know, science is more involved rather than driving a tractor now. You know, it's always computers and robotics. Isn't yeah, it? exactly. So it's making them understand that it's not just about practically hands-on farming. Like you said, there's technology, there's the science behind it, there's the marketing behind it, there's the teaching aspect behind it all. So yeah, like I've been on both sides of the bridge really. So I wasn't from a farm farming background and now I'm farming so I've seen that disconnect between the two so that's why it's really really important to me and I'm, why I'm really passionate about doing it so are you ever Cumbria way is that right yes I'm in Cumbria yeah I was born on the Wirral and I moved to Cumbria six years ago when I wanted to farm so and I've never looked back since and how's farming over at in Cumbria at the moment it's not a patch on last year last year we had the beast on the east and then we had the drought and it hit and it that has had a little bit of an issue for this year. So we've had maybe a lot of farms have had sheep where we haven't had as many lambs this year because of the knock-on effect from the stress. Um, but no, in terms of everything else, it, we've done, it's been quite a good year, really. We can't complain too much. The winter was very mild in comparison to, to what we've had previously. So, yeah, everyone's in quite high spirits about everything. And, yeah, the summer seems to be quite good so far. So we'll yeah. see. A lot of uncertainty, obviously. We don't know what's happening with Brexit and all that kind of thing. But actually, yeah. it does seem that there's still optimism on farms. Yeah, there is. And I think shows like this bring the optimism back, um, especially because it's a good social time for farmers. Like It's a very isolating job sometimes. So this is a really good time to get everyone together, rally them up, get some motivation back and some, some inspiration and some positivity. So it is there. It is definitely there. It's just, yeah, I mean, everyone needs to pick up every now and then, don't they? So... And you can tell that passion's there. Where did it, I mean, can you remember the first time you got really passionate about being on a farm? Oh, yeah. Uh, so I've always been obsessed with animals and the outdoors. Um, and I was in the Lake District with my family, and I literally just saw this little lamb born in front of me. I was on a walk, and, um, yeah, I remember I just watched the whole process, and I couldn't believe how amazing it was to watch, like, the natural instincts tick in, to watch it take its first breath. And that was the light bulb moment. So I cancelled my master's in marine biology, and I, like, took to Cumbrian. And I've never looked back. The rest is history. So inspiring. I've wanted to meet her for ages. Finally, I've done it. That's the Red Shepherdess, Hannah Jackson. In a moment, the award-winning Tetford Longhorn kit has the open field update. And what fruit is Lily Keen tasting? So it is much sweeter, as you say. I don't know if they're a little bit softer, perhaps it's the one I've got. All revealed soon. As we heard earlier, it was the Great Yorkshire Show in the week. Three very good days at Harrogate. I managed two of them and walked for miles and miles. Think about half marathon in total. My legs are still feeling it even now. In truth, though, of course, Sean Sparling probably walks double what I did over both days every single day when he's out in the field. Anyway, the Longhorn Cattle Society held their national show at Great Yorkshire this year. And Charlie Sutcliffe, with his Tetford Longhorns, did very well, it's fair to say, didn't they, Charlie? Uh, I've had a tremendous show, actually. I've only got two animals here, a junior bull and a two-year-old heifer. The junior bull was second at Lincoln three weeks ago, and he was junior male champion 
here yesterday and you'll not find a better turnout of Longhorns than is here for our national show this year. Yeah, it's the first time a national show has been here at the Great Yorkshire, isn't it? It is indeed, yeah. It was at Lincoln, I think it was two years ago, uh, at Three Counties last year, down at Malvern and, and here this year. The, the Longhorns breed, is it a good breed? It's the breed. <laughs> well, you would say that, of course. Well, you'd expect me to, wouldn't you? <laughs> no, I mean, they're a, they're a tremendous... Uh, suckler cow. They're long living, easy calving, probably the easiest calving native breed or breed that there, that there is. Um, I can't remember the last time I helped a cow calve. Mostly, when when we first started I used to religiously go down every two hours during the night when I got a calf deer. But now the first thing I see is the calf up sucking in the morning. Um, peace of mind, beautiful animals and superb beef which, uh, if you haven't tried it, you ought to. I'm saying, are things generally going OK on the farm? Yeah, well, the farm is Longhorns. Yeah. That's, that's all I am. Um, and uh, very fortunate that I'm not unique, but I do have somewhere for everything to go that's born. Initially, pedigree sale or herd replacement, and, and after that, there's the shop. Over the years, we've shown, we started showing in 1994, I think it was 1996, we got a male champion at the Royal Show at Stoneley. And it's my shop window. It's everybody's shop window. And uh, it's fun. Good crowd of friends. And well worth a trip to here to the Great Yorkshire with your prizes. The Great Yorkshire is a fabulous show. Love coming here. First came here in 1994. And uh, I think that's when we caught the bug. Charlie Sutcliffe with his award-winning Tetford Longhorns at the Great Yorkshire Show. It was uh, great to meet Charlie as well, uh, having followed his at Chaz Sutcliffe tweets on social media. If you're on Twitter, do follow him. A legend in the Longhorn world. Right, we're trying strawberries and raspberries in a moment. Well, Lily Keen is. First, the open field update from Kit Dickinson. What's happening, Kit? Well, uh, really, the wheat market has been coming down this week uh, in in front of uh, good yield expectations from Europe and, and the UK. The farm office from French Agrimurras raised its estimate for French soft wheat uh, from the end of 2018-2019 season to June 30. There has been 2.5 million metric tonnes left over at the end of June, whereas at the end of May there was 2.4 million, which is well below the average of 2.9 million for the previous five seasons and the low volume since 2013. The increased stocks figures particularly reflected the slight decrease in estimate, French soft wheat exports outside the European Union in 2018-19 have dropped to 9.7 million tonnes from 9.75 million tonnes last month. Prices have fallen as harvest gets underway across Europe with early reports of the average quality and big yields in France, whilst the opposite is being reported in Russia, where yields to date are below last year, but quality, particularly protein levels, are above average. Ukraine appear to have fared better on both yield and quality, whilst India is experiencing some subpar monsoon seasonal weather. It is perhaps too early to predict, but it appears that optimism that the EU and Russia between them will produce an additional 30 million metric tonnes more than last year. Local wheat is still looking well, and having spoken to a range of farmers, the general indication is that we are three to four weeks away from wheat. Oilseed rate market is still buoyant and prices remain firm. There have been some early rate cut down in the south, but not enough yet to give accurate yield or quality indications. I'm sure we will know more this time next week. 
Moving on to barley, we have seen a lot of winter barley cut and there have been some great yield figures coming in. 68, 69 bushel on winter barley in Norfolk and plenty more still to be cut. This certainly looks good for other cereal crops this season. Could we be on for a bumper harvest? The market has dropped in the last two weeks as more yield and quality reports come in from South England, France, Germany and Spain. If this continues, the wheat market will more than likely continue its downward trend. As and when more wheat has been cut on the continent and in England, we will be able to get a good idea of how much there is and whether the market is going to be in high demand or high supply. So moving on to prices this week, we have seen a drop, as I said before. Feed wheat for July is 135 to 137. Moving forward to November, X the farm 139 to 141. February 142 to 144 and May 146 to 148, although milling premiums are still 20 to 22 pounds. Oilseed rate for July, 310 to 312, November 319 to 321, February 323, and May 325 to 327. Will we see that all-important 330? Barley for July is 118 to 120, has taken a drop on old crop and new crop due to high volumes coming off the combines in the south. November 124 to 126, February 128 to 129, and May 131 to 133. Malting premiums are circa £20 at present for the very best parcels of barley. For a bean value, please contact your open field farm business manager who will give a bespoke price on sample. Thank you. Three and a half minutes of useful facts and figures from Kit Dickinson at Open Field. Now, it's finals day at Wimbledon, with estimates over 166,000 punnets of strawberries will have been consumed by the time the tournament ends later. So, with the thought of strawberries and cream very much on her mind, we sent Lily Keane to meet fruit farmer David Pridgin during what's proved a challenging season, especially with the uh, changing weather. Yeah, it's been quite a difficult season, to be honest. Um, We were just about to start a really busy week when we got all that rain, and I think we measured just over six inches of rain in that first week. So it was absolutely devastating to the early strawberries. We ended up picking several tonnes, literally, in in buckets of uh, a forklift bucket and then tipping them on the uh, manure hill because we couldn't do anything with them. And does it affect the, the look of the strawberry, the taste of the strawberry? Well, thankfully, the weather has uh, calmed down a little bit since then. We've had quite a nice spell of weather the last two weeks, so we've been able to get back in the fields and pick some really nice fruit. I think the rain has probably helped swell the fruit a little bit, so it's, it's, it's exceptional at the moment. Probably not the vintage year like we had last year, in fairness, but we're getting some really good flavoured fruit, and I think the rain has probably swelled the berries nicely. And I suppose, how does this year compare to previous years, then? So, last year was exceptionally hot, Um, We were really struggling picking in the heat. Um, It was a really good quality year, but it was over very quickly. Uh, This year we've got a nice steady flow of strawberries. It's been a little bit cooler and the pickers are managing to pick them (laughs) a little bit easier. Um, We've got some really nice fruit. So I've spoken about strawberries, but of course you've mentioned you've got lots of fruit here, um, including a golden raspberry, which I've never heard of before. So can you tell us about a golden raspberry? What is it? What does it taste like? Yeah, well, you've managed to find the the few rare golden raspberry plants that we've got, and uh, they are very tasty. So, uh, yeah, help yourself, Lily. And uh, it's it's just a different variety, really, but it's sort of an apricot colour, exceptionally sweet and exceptionally good this year. Right, I'll try one then. So it is much sweeter, yeah. as you say. 
I don't know if they're a little bit softer, perhaps it's the one I've got. I think that's probably why you don't see them on the supermarket shelves, because it's probably a delicate, more delicate berry. But it's the sort of thing we can sell here at the farm shop easier than in the supermarket. So it is absolutely gorgeous. It is really sweet, I must say. So what other types of fruit do you have here then? So we're mainly strawberries. Um, we've been growing them for about 22 or 3 years now. Uh, we've got raspberries, black currants, red currants, white currants, gooseberries, cherries, plums. The list goes on, but mainly strawberries. Okay, and they're raised off the ground here as well, haven't they? And I've not seen that before in, in, a, in a strawberry field. I don't know if it's yeah. common, but tell us about that. Okay, so it, it's a more modern way of growing them, I suppose. On, off the ground, raised off the ground, we call them tabletops. So it's really nice. They're about one metre height, easy for picking. You don't need to put straw down. You don't get the slugs on them. You don't have to spray them for weeds. So, and it's much easier on your back and your knees for picking. <laughs> And Wimbledon at the minute, you know, it's on everyone's telly. Does it encourage people to come down and pick their own strawberries and go back and uh, watch the game? Yeah, I think so. I mean, this week, it, it's strawberry week, isn't it? You've got Wimbledon on. It's, it's the quintessential British summer thing. Strawberries, cream, Wimbledon. So, yeah, it's great, great week for picking strawberries. And are people still coming out to pick their own strawberries, would you say? Is it just as popular as it was years ago? I think probably even more so. There's a bit of a resurgence in people wanting to know where the food's come from. Um, they're really interested in the quality of the berries that they, they think it's a better flavor and it's good value for money and they get can't get fresher than picking them straight out of the field picking your own and sampling sweet raspberries as well as strawberries that was lily Keane on the chapel st leonard's farm of david pridgen the farming program five-day forecast well it's good weather to go strawberry picking actually high pressure across the uk today that means dry with some sunshine patchy cloud temperatures a little cooler really as the winds are blowing in from the northeast five to ten miles an hour so temperatures today around 18 tomorrow they'll be nearer 16 tuesday more in the way of clouds temperatures up to 20 with the winds blowing from the southwest and then low pressure could build for the middle of the week that could bring some rain though back high again for the latter part of the week overnight temperatures this week around 8 to 10 tonight and tomorrow up to around 13 by Tuesday. For now, that's the forecast. Next week, just days before we get a new Prime Minister, what might it mean for agriculture? We'll get the views of George Dunn at the Tenant Farmers Association. That's next week at the usual time. Until then, it is Farm Safety Week starting tomorrow, so do please take extra care. Have a good week.